Did you let her touch my child? I asked you a question. Did you let her touch my child? I promised I wouldn't. So instead, you brought her straight home. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eye of me. Our child needs a calm and healthy environment, and you are making that very difficult. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode drops at SBS and at SBS On Demand. And we hope you agree. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS. And I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Life. Hi. Hello. And Hayley Island, Content Programmer for SBS On Demand. Hi. Hello. So, we have just watched episode 12 which is the penultimate episode of this Mm -hmm. series. But anyway, let's not get upset about that. But this one is called Postpartum. Mm -hmm. So the synopsis of this one, June is sent to a familiar place. Nick is rocked by Gilead's brutal response to a crime. Emily is assigned to a mysterious new house. And over the course of the episode, we meet a new character as we say goodbye to another one in very dramatic circumstances, which, of course, comes with another form of ritual. So let's get into this one. Natalie, what stood out for you in this episode? I have to say this episode wasn't what I was expecting, um, but I'm sure we can pull that apart in a little bit. Um, But there was one scene in particular that I think is going to stay with me and that I really appreciated, and that was Serena breastfeeding Holly, or I should say trying to to. breastfeed Mm. Holly. And I know that it is disturbing and we can pull that apart in a minute, but I did just really appreciate that because I think we're still living in a time when Facebook actually bans breastfeeding images, you know, like, so I think it was quite remarkable to see that. Mm. Mm. Haiti. What was your stand-up moment? If I was to pull out a tiny high, it would be the moment at the beginning of the episode when Aunt Lydia offers June a bran muffin saying that she <laughs> deserves it for giving birth unaided in a house by herself in the countryside. And June replies with a line like, I think I've earned a whole cake. That is a cake. <laughs> yeah, she deserves a whole cake. <laughs> she deserves a chocolate factory. Yep. Yep. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I know. Yeah, thanks for the bran muffin, Thank Lydia. <laughs> what a treat. Yeah. Woohoo. Bran. Great. Praise fucking be. For me, yeah, just a little moment, but it kind of matched with my moment from last week where Fred said the line about being on the wall. Mm. They'd put us on the wall together, just my fucking luck. And <laughs> this week, he kind of was on the wall in a painting or a photograph oh, with yeah. uh, Serena and their little baby, Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> yeah, and he got Nick to hang it. So, yeah, I just like that little match-up. Well, yeah, they kind of ended up on a wall, but not in the way we probably all would have oh, liked. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of it that way. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, where do you want to start with this one? So the baby who we witnessed coming to the world in very dramatic circumstances last week, as we expected, she's back in the Waterfords. Well, baby Holly's in the Waterfords. June's come with her eventually after some negotiating. Those opening scenes were so beautiful. Baby being bathed, it was so nice. And then, of course, the reveal that it's Serena (laughs) doing it. And I just want to throw a brick at the television, you know? God bless you, mate. Sunbeams coming yeah. through the window. Whenever there's a return to the Waterfords house, my heart just sinks. And that was the moment when it really sank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, yes, while Serena's bathing baby Holly slash Nicole, poor old June's hooked up the two breast pumps back at the Red mm. Centre. Mm-hmm. I really liked in this episode 
that we really see sort of both June and Serena are mothers to Holly slash Nicole. And I think we see that in two very different ways. And June's is very realistic in a way that Serena's isn't. And so with June, we sort of get the really sort of physical aspects of what your body is like and what it is like after you've given birth. And just that whole breast pump scene, like pumping milk that way is just so monotonous and it's just so dull and it just seems perfect in that horrible way that she's actually doing that. But there's other things that we see her do as well. I like that when she returned to the Waterford house, she's in her bedroom and she sits down in a chair, but she sits down very, very delicately. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that's very realistic. Whereas for Serena, nothing about her version of motherhood rang true for me at all. I thought it was an intriguing choice that we never saw the baby in the baby's room. It was always in Serena's room, which was not decked out for a baby at all. It felt very sterile. And everything that we sort of heard of how she's going, none of it just felt like a real organic motherhood, Mm. which Mm. I guess it isn't. But I kind of like how they seem to deliberately try and contrast the two experiences of Serena Mm. and June. Yeah. And on that, even on the costuming, and another nod to Anne Crabtree, friend of the show, did you notice Serena had a very flouncy robe that didn't suit her? Like she she had it like a silk thing with lots of frills and yeah, it just didn't suit her and I think that was like motherhood's not really suiting her. Like that was the robe that she took off. But they're also hiding the early stages of Yvonne Strahovski's pregnancy in these episodes, aren't they? I thought that's why we had a bit of a flowy dress on. Uh, I thought that was an odd choice for her to wear Mm. and it just didn't didn't suit her. It looked different to the structured and the really tailored pieces that she's normally wearing. It just stood out to me as a... That's an odd one, but then she's she's trying to cope with it. As I say, it feels like she's trying this on and mm. it doesn't quite fit. Nothing is quite right. Even like changing Nicole's outfits every ten minutes, which is just sort of <laughs> giving rid of the shits. Yes, which is just like it's just so abnormal. It's just so weird. Like I guess also her experience of motherhood is different for most of us in that she doesn't have a job. She has an in-house cook and the house is cleaned for her. Mm. Rita's doing all of that washing. June gets the groceries, yeah. you know, like, like a lot of that. She's got knitting, but she hates doing that. Yes. So she kind of really doesn't have that much to do anyway. And mm. her body is not healing or coping with anything, you know. So her experience is very different. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, Serena's living in this fantasy dream scape with these soft-focused lit baby rooms Mm -hmm. and shots of the child and June's over at the Red Centre in this nightmare pumping milk Mm -hmm. detached from her child and that gets reflected in the fact that her supply starts to go down Mm -hmm. to a point where it's it's getting to be an issue there's not enough milk to feed the baby. But of course she can't go back because Serena Yeah we've got this standoff where Serena doesn't want her in the house but I mean, June has Serena is so angry at June, oh, yeah. isn't she? Like she is furious with her. So yeah, she does not want her anywhere near that house or anywhere near her baby. Mm. <laughs> I love her, her baby. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a supercut of us saying that. <laughs> but of course, then there's Fred, who is you know always up for a little bit of negotiation. Oh. Or of, uh, he would love <laughs> to have his handmaid back, you know, his plaything. <laughs> he, he almost lets June back into the house in spite of of Serena just to get at her, doesn't he? I absolutely think that is what he is doing there because he met with June but he had strict instructions from Serena 
do not let her touch my baby. Mm -hmm. And Fred is wise enough to not go against Serena in that moment. So he did actually abide by those rules. But he found a way to niggle at Serena and sort of pull a power trip on her. And Mm. and he absolutely went for it, which was inviting June back. He made an executive decision. It's not like he ran it past Serena first and they talked Mm. about it. Next thing you know, um, June's just back in the house and, oh, Serena... Not happy. But then she tries to lay another ground rule of, well, she's got to stay in the room and she she has to pump up mm, there and mm-hmm. she can't see the baby, which, I mean, she breaks that rule by the end of the episode. But, yeah, on Fred in that exchange between he and Serena in the room there, he, again, with just a smirk on his face, that shit-eating grin that Fred has, he says, well, well it doesn't, doesn't have, have to be, be conflict. Let's see how it goes. She has no contact with the baby. And she pumps in her room. I don't think, to start with, June's that happy about coming back either. You know, she's deliberately trying to separate herself emotionally from this child. She turns away when she's confronted with the baby. Yeah, she's physically trying to get away. No, no, no. And it's only when she's back in the house and there's that sense of the baby crying downstairs when she lies down and listens through the floorboards and those moments where she catches a glimpse of the baby and you can see her reconnecting and that bond re-establishing. Yeah. And in this, Aunt Lydia plays a big role in getting June back, sort of because June challenges her sort of at the breast pump scene at the start. Aunt Lydia's saying, well, Serena wants it this way, I can't do anything. And June challenges that and says, well, you know, but you promised you, you, promised you would help me look after her, my baby. And Lydia says a line, and it's quoting Voltaire, one, one can't, can't let the perfect, perfect be the enemy, the, of the, enemy good. of the good. And I think that's the line of the episode, really, because it's sort of <laughs> perfection comes at a big cost and, like, you get so lost in trying to pursue perfection that you forget why you're doing it in the first place, which Mm. we'll get to Eden's storyline, but, (laughs) you know, they do sacrifice the perfect Gilead citizen. (laughs) Yeah, I just think that line summarises and encapsulates so much of what's going on in this episode of just Serena wants the perfect motherhood (laughs) and she's not really thinking of what's good for the baby. So much about Gilead is about the facade of beauty and keeping up appearances Mm. and that line really cuts Mm. to what a lot of the series is about Mm. in a way where we're constantly finding ways around this facade of perfection and little chips and cracks. Yeah, there's a lot of it elsewhere as well. I mean, we learn with the new character, there's revelations about how the punishments have been scaled back a little bit, like what used to get your hand lopped off is now a finger. Yeah. <laughs> sort of this compromise. Mm-hmm. That was interesting, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's interesting. It shows the passage of time as well since Gilead's been, been up and running. Because how many disfigured people were there or are there in Gilead? Yeah, right. Like it's out of control. <laughs> well, you got to do a finger because you probably need more things to lop off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, once you lose a hand, you can't lop up more of the hand. And also we get an insight into how a couple comes by a handmaid. Sort of you find out a few yeah, people oh, yes. are bidding for June yes. and they're giving the brand muffins. Yeah. Whereas... Well, I've got to say, if you, if you do want a handmaid, you want the one who was strong enough to be able to give birth to her baby with, yeah. with like, no help at all, yeah, right. <laughs> facing down with a wolf, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. She's, she is the one you want. She's proved her worth yeah. as, a, as a baby maker. Whereas on the flip side, Emily... People are, mm. nope, oh, what else you got? <laughs> so that's interesting. And I, I love the light and shade of June and Emily and kind of their stories are quite aligned in a lot of ways, but you just sort of see Emily's getting the rough end of the stick so much more. They're all getting terrible storylines. It's, it's, it's just all scales of bad. Exactly. It? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I know imagine anyone's living their perfect life here in Gilead. I think it's hilarious that they've decided to name the baby Nicole. <laughs> 
Because Nicole is the feminine derivative yeah. of the masculine name Nicholas. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> why didn't I put that together? I was thinking, why did I choose Nicole? Well, I'd want to know too. <laughs> and is that just like, oh, we know, are. guys, we know. <laughs> I know. Is Serena oblivious to this or is it a dig at Fred's impotence? Oh, <laughs> you know, yes. Or did Fred come up with it? It's yes. like, yeah, kind. Oh, that's yeah. so good. It, but it was also like um, beautiful name Lydia had that line child. where she said, yeah. Oh, and she looks just, just like, like her father. father. And the camera was actually on Nick and I was like, nice touch, guys. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. If I mean, I don't know if you could possibly have any doubt in this series. It's been thrust on us in so many episodes. The baby is Nick's, everyone. Mm-hmm. Have you got it now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, speaking of Nick, he's back, by the way. That was not explained at all. Like, what actually happened? Who took him? Where did he go? What did he say? Well, like, it was Fred, right? Is that what we think? Does the Fred said some line about there being a misunderstanding mm. and him he was very getting Nick back. There was a misunderstanding with some overzealous guardians, but Nick protected our child. We'll let you get settled. Praise be. Praise be. Under his eye. Yeah. Did- yeah, so which means that when Nick was taken, he didn't actually say anything. He clearly didn't tell the people about the handmaid in mm. the house. And rather than Fred thinking that was Nick trying to hide the love of his life, instead Fred is spinning that to be, oh, you're so discreet. I will be promoting you later. Yeah. Mm. You didn't tell anyone that I'd let my handmaid mm. see her daughter, who she's never allowed to see again. Mm. Yeah, that was an odd scene, little power play, and that's where, of course, he made Nick hang the photo of Nick's baby with Fred's family yeah. on the wall. Down on the right. A little more. Perfect. I was thinking, surely Fred sees Nick as a threat. And then I thought, I just don't know that he does. I think I think Fred is so confident in his power and in his station that I think he mistakenly thinks that he has all of this under control. And I think in that sense, he's also sort of not really appreciating everyone else in the household and how much power they potentially have against him. I just, I just think he's, he just feels so confident. Yeah, I think he's oblivious to anything that mm. doesn't suit him. Even though Serena told him last episode that they all hate you, mm. I still don't think he's got that through his thick skull because he tried to say to June that he was upset that she didn't want to come home with him. <laughs> and I was just like, are you serious? No. Oh, Fred. It's all gross. There's an interesting power dynamic or a relationship growing now between Fred and Nick where Nick's lost the protection that he had in Commander Price some Mm. episodes ago. Even though there's this power play happening between Fred and Nick, Fred's proving to be prepared to offer Nick a level of protection that he lost with Commander Price. I think he just wants to feel like he has the power to offer that. I think it Mm. makes him feel good to offer that and also keeps Nick in his place. It's a way of telling Nick that I have more power than you and I'm the Mm. one in charge here. Also, he's ensconced in his fancy pants big new office too, so he's he's feeling it at that moment when he's saying (laughs) that. You know, they're moving in, he's got upgraded to a bigger space, he's the the head on show. I'm assuming he got upgraded because they've had a baby. Is that sort of the warped motivation of Gilead commanders? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Which is why the portrait has gone on the wall. Yeah, mm. right. Oh, yeah, yeah actually, I didn't twig. And mm. one of the commanders in the office congratulating him was the one being introduced as having received a promotion because his wife had had a child oh, in yeah, one correct. of the earlier episodes. Mm. 
The line at the start of it is that he's running point on media expansion now. You'll need to spread out. Oh, yeah. What did they say? I told the committee I don't need so much space, but they insisted for the optics. Well, you're running point on media expansion now. You'll need to spread out. Well, we know from it's prior a- episodes that he's got to start working on that tourism plan. <laughs> going to be amazing. I know, right? Everyone in Canada can't wait to get in. In all seriousness, was that sort of picking up on what we heard Oprah say last week about the UK was putting more sanctions on Gilead Mm. and that Canada was allowing more Gilead refugees in. Mm. I wonder if the media expansion is that is that more sort of like they realise they have some really bad PR issues which they need to get a handle on? Probably. Yeah. But I don't know if Fred's the best person to right? uh, lead that. Mm. Yeah. I, I do think Serena will play a role in that. I think they'll use her. Probably I hate to say a, it, but she would be great at that. She would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it got Gilead in the first place, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. But good luck with that lady. Is it time to talk about Eden? Ooh, actually, <sighs> um, it is, but I did want to say something about Eden, which was which sort of ties into Serena and the baby. Yes. I kind of like that the first time we saw Eden in this episode, she was holding Holly and talking about her possible future. And in this episode, Eden got advice from both Serena mm. and from June. Mm-hmm. And there were two very different bits of advice. And I'm also reluctant to say this, but Serena's advice was the right advice. And that's the one that she should have followed. But June is the one who said what she wanted to hear. Patience and service and sacrifice. In the end, it's all worth it. Whereas June says, In this place, you grab love wherever you can find. And on the mention of the future, I mean, everyone's thinking of their future in this episode. Sort of, I guess a new baby makes you think and hopeful for the future and whatnot. Mm. But, you know, Fred is saying that line to Nick at the start. The future's full of possibilities for both of us. Things are going to happen for you. For both of us, things are going to happen for you. Then Serena and Eden, they're they're talking about a future and and Eden's obviously contemplating a future with (laughs) with (laughs) Runaway Guardian Man, Mm -hmm. RIP. And Nick and June are contemplating their escape to the beach. That was beautiful. Maui. (laughs) And that was such a scene for Sana, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for all the romance lovers out there, that was the absolute scene to watch. And that was the scene that I cried in this episode. Mm. It was just so beautiful, the two of them having a really nice moment, really connecting. Because I see whenever they flash back to June and Luke, June and Luke have a really great connection. And I think you really see that with June and Nick this time. They're not connecting over a shared plan to, you know, it's, like it's not like when they're in the Boston Globe and they're not, they're not actually surrounded by horror. This actually just felt happy and hopeful in a nice way as they were, as they were lost in the imagination of what their possible future life could look like. I think they realised it was a fantasy and oh, they totally. and they enjoyed it for that moment and yeah. I thought that was nice. See, I, I didn't cry at all in this episode myself and that scene, that started so awkwardly. Like for a couple who've just had a baby, albeit in the weirdest circumstances possible, but <laughs> like his opening line is, our baby's so beautiful. That's like, why I cried. Oh, right, okay. It wasn't awkward. Oh, no, but the way he said it was, it was, <laughs> you might have well have said we've been sent good weather because, it, like, it's <gasps> awkward and because of the circumstances that make it awkward. And then slowly they open up and suddenly they're, you know, fantasising mm. about the baby eating sand on the beach in Maui. My awareness of how awkward it was made me think, these two have found each other in this horrific situation. Could they make it outside? Like, he's her brief, you know, respite in this yep. horrific world, but... I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know how they would go on the outside, but who knows? I'm not. Sure, I'm sure we're not going to see it anytime soon. So <laughs> got a lot of time to Season contemplate 10. that. <laughs> 
So Nick's absence wasn't really fully explained, but mm. he's just back and he's back in the role that he's always had and Fred's happy with him. Great, great, great. He has a nice catch-up with June, which is lovely, but the real scene that he gets is is the one with Eden. Yeah. So Eden getting that conflicting advice off Serena and June and unfortunately unfortunately took June's words to heart. Way too and, literally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Off that night. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> That scene with Nick, I think, was really pivotal and, and it really gave you a sense of how she was approaching this. And Nick was trying yeah. his hardest to show her the right way, the right way to handle this. Mm. And I just thought this has been a heartbreaking mm. episode for him. Like He's had to put that portrait on the wall. <laughs> and I think the only win he's had is that at least June is back in the house. But really, this mm. is he's having, he's having a hard time. And I think he's feeling guilty, like with having fantasised about the life in Maui with June and Holly. Mm-hmm. And he's this poor girl. She's consumed by all that's right and good and thinks she's living the perfect Gilead life. And she's racked with guilt and she wants to spend the rest of, well, what remains of her life with, um, what's his name? Because <laughs> yeah, like she's, she's found a way to justify it yeah. in a way that agrees with her religion, mm. which is she wants to have a baby and she thinks that a baby should be brought up by a couple that love each other. So mm. in, in her mind, she's doing the right thing by her future baby. And of course, Gilead really cares about babies. Mm. So she's really justified it to herself Mm. despite the fact that what she's doing goes against Gilead law. Yeah and another callback to that line by Aunt Lydia at the start that one can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Well yeah she wants rather than just surviving and living in Gilead which as we know is an achievement in and of itself she's aiming for perfection. Mm. She not only wants to survive she wants to have a baby and she wants to have the baby with the man that she's in love with and she's so young she hasn't quite cottoned on to the fact that no one gets what they want in this place mm-hmm. yeah. like, well sorry no women no like you know women yeah, right. do not get what they want yeah and like Nick is appealing to that he's sort of saying you don't have to see mm. this all the way through it doesn't have to be the perfect Gilead way mm-hmm. Well, just tell them that you repent. It's okay. I'll make a baby for you. Like he's just trying to give her as many possible mm. chances, sort of like reiterating that line from Aunt Lydia again in a remarkably different way. But, yeah, you don't have to be perfect. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it is tragic in the sense that all the other characters in Gilead are willing to make compromises and bend the rules for their own survival. And here we have a model Gilead student, mm-hmm. uncompromising, believes in everything Gilead has taught her mm. and yet she can't deliver. She can't live up to the Gilead way of life and Gilead kills her off. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. This was a different punishment, death and punishment scene than what we have seen before. Gilead is always very harsh and sort of uncompromising but you really got a sense that they wanted her to save herself, mm. you know. Like this was really unusual in that she had decided on her course of action. And it's very unusual she got to choose. Yeah, she actually, yeah, got, yeah like like they really wanted her to repent and you get the mm. idea that she would have lived. Yeah. Um, so it was a, like we are very used and very prime to see horror and even though her death is horrific and tragic, I just thought it was intriguing how they pitched that from the Gilead point of view in that no one actually wanted to go through with it. Yeah, they were Mm. all there to witness it but hopefully witness her repent. I did find that there were some very blunt moments in that scene, the contrast of the very mundane public swimming pool being appropriated as a point of execution Mm. and then just the reminder that in Gilead 
the Bible is law. They're literally reading out lines from the Bible and saying you have contravened these laws and so you will die if you don't repent. It's just a scary reminder of the fundamentalism of this world. Yeah, and to me that was like a callback to Alphaville. I don't know if you've seen that one, the Jean-Luc Godard movie from the 60s, which is like a dystopian future. Still very retro, <laughs> gorgeous looking for the 60s. But there's an execution in swimming pools and like oh, people are shot mm, in them. So I thought oh that gosh. might have been a little callback to, to that. It is kind of creepy, isn't it, the way that Gilead takes these normal things and makes them horrible and that they're being quite creative in their use of what was already in the environment. So they've gone, mm. oh, a pool. Mm. What are we going to use that for? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you and don't need that for swimming anymore. Yeah, right. Did you notice how many other weights and chains were on yes. the bottom? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there's before them. And quite beautiful parting shot for Eden with her floating up. Oh, gosh. And sort of the lane markings make little crucifixes at the top of the water. Oh, I didn't notice mm. that. I, well I don't know. observed. Thanks. I don't know if it referenced a painting or something, but the way she fell in the water was, was quite, quite stunning. So... I'm sure our listeners will um, tweet us about that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. If you're an art historian, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, talking about painting references, moving on to Emily's new posting at Lawrence's place, the interior of Mm. this house is very strikingly different to any other interiors Mm. we've seen in Gilead so far. (laughs) And uh, it, it really struck me as... I'm probably going to say this term incorrectly because my art history isn't that strong, but the Renaissance style of painting that's called chiaroscuro. 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 Yeah, you can say it better than me. (laughs) Of uh, that intense play of light and shade in that era of Renaissance painting. It looked to me like they were trying to recreate this in this house with the natural light coming through the windows and the intense patches of darkness Mm. and Mm. the array of art, history and art goods around the house. It was just really striking. Yeah. I thought a little too much. I don't know. This whole storyline of introducing this new commander, Joseph Lawrence, played by Bradley Whitford. I'm going to go with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's playing very much the back row in this episode and I'm just curious... Yeah. Curious to see this. Yeah, so I, I noticed that production design, but I noticed it more than, you know, it felt really noticeable. Mm. So I don't it know. Did. That's is the, it, like they're definitely trying to say something, but what is it that they're saying? Because, like, they do mention that his wife is an artist, right? Mm. And She um, was a art professor, I think he says. Yeah. I thought it was showing how much power he had, that he clearly feels untouchable. He yeah, is right. so senior in Gilead that he can run his house however he wants. He can basically kick... Aunt Lydia out. How good was she in this episode? <laughs> she couldn't get out of there quick enough. Yeah. And the fact that he can have all sorts of paintings anywhere in his house and, and no one can say anything to him. He can have books yeah, lying books around. Books lying open, yes. Because, like, like, Fred has his Bible locked away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this felt like a very different environment and I wasn't quite sure what they were saying and I was wondering if they were trying to get across like Aunt Lydia played up how intelligent this guy is, this mm. sort of off-the-charts intelligent slash creative. And I thought they were trying to show that with the house and that sort of you're never quite at ease, you know, you you mm. aren't you aren't quite sure what he's actually going to do next. And like his Martha speaks back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Which was um but quite playfully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like the rules are different in this house and we don't know mm. what the rules of this house mm. are yet. Mm. Um, and on, on uh, one hand, he's he's threatening to cut off Emily's finger because he catches her reading one of his books. And on the other hand, his Martha's talking back to him because she feels 
like he's not going to do anything. So I was wondering if he like did, like did he want Emily not just because of her intriguing protest background, but does he just want a smart woman in the house that he can talk to? You know, mm. I, I think maybe that's what his wife was, but his wife has clearly turned against him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was just... It's his version of Scrabble. Yes. Of a, mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, minutes into getting into the household, Emily's already in his study drinking beer and he's yeah. rattling off every detail of her history I to know, her. Worst, he's well-versed in the background of Emily. Worst mm-hmm. this is your life ever. It was. <laughs> it sort of was reminding me that a lot of the commanders in Gilead go to Jezebel's. Mm. And I remember Fred saying to June that Jezebel's was full of, he actually said, we have a great collection here and was rattling off the former professions of the women that were there. So I thought, is this his way of having his own little private Jezebel experience at home? And of course, Emily's background, she was an academic as well. I've actually forgotten what her speciality was. biology or molecular biology. Yes, that's right. Yes. I, I really like Bradley Whitford. Like I'm such a Josh Lyman fan that I'm always happy when I see him and hearing his voice just makes me feel good. (laughs) I was kind of expecting him to call out to Donna, which is what he was always doing in the West Wing. And I could totally see like Josh Lyman in this world and what his response to Gilead would be. And he would have an argument with like Toby Ziegler and, and then they'd realize they're on the same side. And, you know, I could, I could totally (laughs) see a whole West Wing scene. And I thought, you don't bring a guy like that into this show unless you've got a big plan for them, surely. Mm. See, to me, I wasn't a huge West Wing watcher. I know the show, but I wasn't a huge one. But also he's just most recently been quite famously had a role in Get Out mm. and uh, probably mm. skews closer to <laughs> The Handmaid's Tale yes. in sort of the domestic horror of that one. Um, interesting kind of playing off those two really well-known roles. <laughs> well, I missed the West Wing. I was too young for it. So for me, oh, stop, stop. <laughs> for me, Bradley Whitfield will always be the bad guy from Billy Madison. <laughs> <laughs> and picking up on that point of having a smart woman in the house to, to banter with and keep their intelligence um, mm. occupied, that scene with Emily and her new commander comes straight after the scene with Jude and Fred where she raises the prospect of more Scrabble. Well, yeah. he, he oh gosh. Scrabble's another, obviously not on his mind. Another June but. and Fred awkward kitchen moment. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So gross. Yeah. But, yeah, Scrabble, I say in inverted commas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ugh, that's... So are the Lawrences being set up to be staple characters in season three? Good question. I think quite probably, mm. yes. Could that be any less? Oh, also, oh, yes, that's right, because... um. When Emily's door creaked open and someone was visiting yes. her and I was like, oh, where is this going? The insight into, I've forgotten his character's name. Sorry, Joseph. Joseph. His wife, she knows that he was the architect of the colonies. Yes. She is absolutely horrified by that. And she clearly has no idea that Emily has been to the colonies. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, he would know that. So I think that factors into why mm. he's got her as well. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think he's telling his wife much. Oh, God, yeah, she's she's not coping with Gilead very well at all. Can't mm. blame her for that. Um, <laughs> she's not rowing that boat alone. But, but I was just but, thinking that, mate, sorry, that sorry. Um, major scene we saw of Emily earlier in the season in the colonies, which was the episode where they had Marissa Tomei there, and mm-hmm. she ended up killing her by the end mm. of that. Like, that was a whole other side to Emily. So yeah. we know what she's capable of now, and now she's in the house with the architect of that. Yeah. So... Mm. If that doesn't happen in the final episode of this season, then, yeah, I'll be there for season three. (laughs) Absolutely. Setting up some good motive. Mm. And the relationship that is possible between Emily and Mrs Lawrence is also something that I'll be sticking around Ah, for. Mm. We've got Mm. two very intelligent women, one who, you know, 
appears off the rails, but who knows what she's really like. I think there could yeah. be something there. First impressions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of on that with Joseph and his wife, I think the door to having an open conflict between a commander and their wife was propped open last week with Fred and Serena mm-hmm. having that massive fight in, that um, amazing, in the house. amazing, amazing know, fight. Which he alludes to saying, oh, you heard all that, did you? Yes. Did you? <laughs> so, you know, we got that one. And then this week there's all-out conflict in, in Joseph's house. So I'm loving this new no-holds-barred relationship uh, examination. The way that he got his wife out of Emily's room and sort of shuttled her down the hallway and I thought, oh, he's seeming kind of caring and then he just pretty much threw her in that room <laughs> and shut the door. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, Christ. okay, okay yeah. then. Mm, yeah. In my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder, does he actually want a baby? He already has a lot of power in Gilead. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy... He seems to need or want more the amount of sort of confidence he had in that unusual household. And if a baby means you get a bigger space, I don't think he'd want to be packing up all the yeah. <laughs> so around that he's house. clearly a hoarder. I'm just like fingers like fingers crossed. Emily might actually be spared from the monthly ceremony. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to get a handle on what's mm. going on in that household. Mm. And sorry, on that's an unfortunate one and another parallel between June and Emily. A character asks each of them this time how they are. Down there, you know that oh, question? Yes. Aunt mm-hmm. Lydia asks June and Commander asks Emily mm-hmm. and not out of concern. It's more mm-hmm. where are you at with that? Just another reminder that their bodies aren't their own exactly. anymore. He has a power play, wasn't it? Mm. But if we can go back to body parts, I mentioned the breastfeeding scene mm. in the beginning. Like I think that was the major achievement of this episode, which was I was thinking that the second last episode was going to have so much drama in it that there was going to be kind of like the explosion of a few episodes ago. I, I thought we might be getting a big moment of resistance, maybe from Rita or from like somebody. And really like the big achievement in this episode is that June gets to breastfeed her own baby, which is a very quiet mm. achievement, yeah. really. So I, I am wondering what they've got up their sleeves for the last episode. But I really was impressed by that scene with Serena when she was breastfeeding. We had talked before about the birth scene and that it was like a birth that we've never seen on TV before. Mm. It was so realistic. And the same with the breastfeeding. Like, you Mm. just don't see that on TV. And for some reason, like, despite it being so natural, it's still so taboo. And and you actually see, like, the baby, like, latching on. Yeah. And you also see the baby upset when clearly there's, like, no milk there. Mm. I just thought... I'm so pleased that they put that in. I don't know if they realise how radical it actually is. I'm not quite sure what the environment around breastfeeding is like in America, but it's like... Well, certainly breastfeeding when you didn't give birth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, I that's say, radical. I say the only disappointment is that that beautiful scene, unfortunately, has that horrible Gilead twist and that it's <laughs> Serena. Like, you know, I wish that we had that lovely moment with June, but instead it comes with that. i got to say, like, you know, mummy blogs are sort of, and I'm sorry for using that term, but are sort of like there's plenty of conversation mm. about other women breastfeeding your baby. Mm. You well, know, I Googled it too. Yeah, I didn't know it was possible. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's wet like nurses, a thing. guys. It was a thing for years. Mm. It's very taboo. It's very, like, people are not happy about it. So, yeah, so even actually seeing it in the show was very, like, no, mm. no, 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 Serena, even mm. though I understand completely why she did it. Mm. I think it was deliberate when June eventually did get to breastfeed the baby that the camera stepped back and you didn't get that intimacy with June. Instead, you got June being watched closely by Serena and Serena had that gaze, but we didn't. 
we just had that space with June where she wasn't by herself. She wasn't alone with the baby. She was being watched. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. I noticed in this episode where the, the links between Eden and Serena, and Serena's really feeling she's really grieving or the shock or there's mm. something going on in that last scene where she's thrown mm-hmm. because Eden's obviously been killed off in the previous oh, yeah. scenes. Mm. And I noticed both Eden and Serena quote from the same prophet Isaiah. Eden obviously is looking at the um, passage of when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. So, you know, that's that with you to the bitter end moment. But Serena quotes a bit later. Thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with he who contends with you. And I will save your children. Mm. So I, th- I thought it was interesting that they both go back to the same Old Testament. So what was your mm. reading on why Serena said that? What do you think she was thinking of? I was wondering whether, because she really liked Eden, in an episode where Serena is finally a mother, she was giving Eden life advice and actually good life advice. Mm. And she was really upset with the punishment and the killing of Eden. So I was just sort of wondering if this was just like another another moment for Serena being really angry with this world that she helped mm-hmm. that like she helped create. Yeah. I think she's finally feeling some maternal instincts and those maternal instincts were towards Eden and so it has hit her extra hard. Mm. And and she finally got there with Holly slash Nicole as well because she did end up seeing sense by the end that despite yeah. her anger and resentment of June, in the end she did actually manage to put her baby first, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Great great emotional growth there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just took Eden's death to get uh, Serena and June back together in this episode. <laughs> pretty dramatic way to get there yeah to me it kind of connected back again I'm, I'm reading so much into that Aunt Lydia um, line at the start but you know that striving for perfection and I think she just mm. sees the loss of Eden who kind of is the model Gilead citizen that she was mm. writing about and like this is kind of you know focus on being a mother and providing the family and being this domestic feminist is the phrase she used in that book of hers just seeing the futility of that when it all comes down to it and yeah I think that, that whole passage I'm not a scholar and yeah, <laughs> if you have an alternate theory, you know, please at me, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, the one thing that I will pick up on Eden, considering that we are seeing how Serena has reacted, Fred's reaction to Eden was something different again. Yeah. And like the words that he used, yes. like he said, a married woman swept up in her own selfish lust, which is like a married woman for a start. What is she, like 14, 15 years old? Like, like. That just didn't fit at all. And the other thing he said when he had that um, scene with June, he said that he has been dealing with that slut. Yeah, right. Um, And I thought if you ever want to spot a misogynist, you just have to see how they talk about women when they're angry with them. Mm -hmm. And they're the words that come out and it's like, oh. It's a classic tell. Yes. Mm. And with Serena, he was also saying, do you know what this looks like like for me? me? Please. I gave her the opportunity to elevate herself. To be a wife, a mother, to be associated with the Waterford name. Because all of his ladies are associated with his name. He's given June his first name. <laughs> yeah, it's very telling the way he, mm-hmm. he handles it. All right, well, uh, that about wraps it up. So, I mean, we're into the final now. Next week is the final of Series 2. 
I, I can't wait for this, but I'm also not ready for this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe they'll just suddenly drop 10 episodes. They're not going to do that. <laughs> so what do we think? How is this series going to wrap up? Well, the theme of this season for me, but also I think it's sort of the theme that they have put out there is that it is resist. And I'm not sure that for me I'm seeing enough resisting. June's strength every episode is amazing and that is, of course, a, a massive act of resistance in and of itself. But I think I was really hoping in this episode to see a little bit more drama, a little bit more action, a little bit more May Day or, or, or a little bit more global intervention. So I'm hoping that that's what they're saving for the last episode. I want something, I want something big. Yeah, I mean, mm. it has to be. Well, last, last year, remember, the, the last series wrapped up with her getting bundled off into a van and that was, wait, what? Where is she going? So <laughs> yeah. we, need a, we need a what? And also a this on. bit of hope, I think. I think that a lot of viewers have been clinging on week after week despite the sometimes harrowing storylines. So I think that possibly what everyone else is looking for is, is just sort of some hope to cling on to to get you through to season three. So I really hope we see some of that. Mm. I'm also hoping for some of the outside world. We haven't seen anything since the diplomatic trip to yeah. Canada. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the last one was the radio update. So yeah, They dropped haven't... a bomb when they went up there and released those letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we haven't seen any of the, the fallout of that since the initial protest in Canada. I want to see where that's happening and mm-hmm. what, what's happening on the protest front outside of Gilead and if that's going to have an effect inside Gilead. Because yeah. Fred doesn't seem quite stressed enough, does he? Like he's, <laughs> no. like he's worrying about Eden, but I'm thinking if global sanctions are what they are, I feel like he should be a little bit more concerned. Mm. Since we saw him moving to this big office, what, what is his role now? Like I, I know we know he got a promotion and he was the target of like the Like how can you get um, a promotion and... after what happened in Canada? He got out. <laughs> such a fail. <laughs> but maybe news didn't get back to anyone. <laughs> Some people just fail up, you know, yeah. and generally white and male. <laughs> Good old Fred Waterfords of the world. Well, look, there's only one way to find out. So we shall see you again for the big finale episode. But first, we're going to drop a special episode next week. You heard it here first. We are going to be talking to Bruce Miller, showrunner of The Handmaid's Tale. So Keeper of all the knowledge. Exactly. The brain's <laughs> trust. So that is going to be very exciting. So we'll have that one prior to the big finale drop next week. Do look out for that on Monday of next week. Thank you so much for listening and uh, just let me thank my co-host, Natalie Hambly. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And Haiti Island, thank you again. Thank you. We love hearing your thoughts about this show and about this podcast, so do keep the theories coming. We love hearing from you. If you want to hit us up on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? I'm at Natalie Hambly, which is N-A-T-A-L-I-E-H-A-M-B-L-Y. And Haiti's not on Twitter, but if you want to pass a message, we'll gladly uh, do that. And feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. For more Handmaid's coverage, you can head to SBS Guide, which is sbs.com.au slash guide, where I'm doing some episode recaps and we give recommendations for other things you can watch as you await the next episode. Speaking of which, the finale of Series 2 of The Handmaid's Tale will premiere on SBS On Demand at 5pm Thursday and on SBS TV on Thursday evening. Eyes on Gilead is produced by Dan Barrett and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Mother knows best. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.